Welcome to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast, the history of our wonderful sport. One of our recent projects has enforced the need to lock down our sporting history before it becomes almost impossible to understand or relate to the past because things are changing so fast. While talking to Colin and Claire Wilkinson about his national representation in the 1950s, the discussion moved to the family's modern-day sporting feats and representation, as Colin's nephew, Justin Savage, is in the process of establishing himself on the pro circuit. Justin J.K.S. Savage, or Spiderfingers as Colin referred to him when growing up, is not a cyclist but a modern day sporting pro. And as I was to find out, it's very difficult to compare Colin's sporting career in the 50s to his nephew's sporting environment some 70 years later. We are planning a more detailed look at Colin Wilkinson's career and the outstanding New South Wales riders he raced with in a separate podcast. However, this podcast simply looks at elite sport in the mid-1900s and contrasts it to the future through the Wilkinson family. Aussie international Colin Wilkinson followed his brother into cycling, who interestingly wasn't a racer but a long-distance tourer who just loved to ride his bicycle. My brother was a great long-distance bike rider. He, he would ride up to Brisbane and back just for a bike ride. He rode on a fixed wheel, 69-inch gear, and he rode at night all so that he wouldn't have any bother with the traffic. Wow. I would ride with him. My mother bought me a bicycle, a 26-inch speedball, and he, I would ride with him down to our aunties at Wollongong and back. I always, uh, at the beginning, had to walk up uh, Bulleye Pass because it was a bit steep. <laughs> he used to ride over it, but I walked the last bit. Well, how old would I have been? About 10. Oh, you were 10 doing this? Uh, I decided I'd start racing. I think I started off going over to the track. I said to, to, to come over to Adley Park. And I, my very first bike ride, I got fastest time. Colin Wilkinson would become a top amateur when amateurism was having a boom period in Australia in the mid-1950s after the Melbourne Olympics. The eyes of the world were on our sporting heroes at Melbourne and Colin's national selection for the Commonwealth Games two years later is worth celebrating. Racing not only the 1958 Com Games in Cardiff but also the Tour of Scotland before the World Championships in France. very hard because I was 17 when I started my apprenticeship, which means I was 22 when I finished. Yeah, yeah. And apprentice wages, the original first year was £3, yeah. which is $6 a week, and it went up to uh, when I was in... Well, when I went to the Games, I still had two years of my apprenticeship to finish, so I was earning about, uh, I think it was 9 pounds, $18 a week, and a um, tyre, D'Alessandro, a decent tyre, was about six pounds, so that was two-thirds of my whole salary for a week for a tyre, yeah. for a single, so I didn't, I ended up, like, 
most of the bike riders who were amateurs on the Australian tyres, yeah. which were pretty chatty. They never were matured. Yeah. They were very soft. And I think in, in the write-up about the test races, we had I had uh, splits, cuts. You could see the tube through the tyre wow. in two places. It was just sheer luck if you finished the race without yeah. blowing a tyre. And my experience in the games, and about the third uh, lap, there was a big crash, and I was in the middle of it, of course. We all got back on again, and we chased, and we caught the peloton again. Um, and we went round for about another two laps, and I punctured, uh, the front wheel punctured. These are the great tyres that we were using. <laughs> the English had the spares uh, vehicle. They handed me a tyre with wingnut hub. Yeah. The tyre itself, it must have been from an African country, was about equivalent to today's um, uh, BMX tyres with big lumps on it. And so from then on, I'm looking down at this bloody tyre. It took me long enough to get the wing nuts on, and then it was like um, ridiculous trying to yeah. ride. Yeah, it's crazy. And I stayed exactly one kilometre behind the peloton for I don't know how many laps, two or three. Yeah, yeah. And uh, O'Donnell's, Loki O'Donnell, said... You're wasting your bloody time, pull out. So I did. Yeah. I wasn't in kind of real clean. It was, yeah. and the wind was pl blowing in off the sea. Yeah. Uh, Ogmore by sea was the name of the bloody place. <laughs> and the circuit. And uh, it, it was just horrible weather. And what yeah. we did after the games, we went up to Scotland for the tour of Scotland. It pissed raining for three days. In the tour, I came in about 14th, I think, but the, the weather was atrocious. Oh, I think uh, uh, Brazier, who was our best bike rider, yeah. uh, got it somewhere in the first three. Uh, what happened, we then went to Paris, uh, to Reims yeah. in France, uh, for the world titles. There was no mechanicing, you didn't have, you had to do it yourself. And there was no chance between Scotland and uh, Paris or Scotland and Reims, to do any mechanicking. And, of course, the bloody centre bracket was full of water and the, the ball bearings went rusty. I started off, of course, and I'm going on and it's getting bloody harder and harder to push the bloody thing. And eventually I just couldn't go any bloody further. It, it was like wouldn't go around. The cranks wouldn't go around. We will cover the achievements of Colin and his teammates in the next podcast. But for now, I just want to look at the life of an Australian sporting rep overseas 70 years ago and compare it to now. Certainly, cycling support and money were very tight when representing your country in the 1950s. 
up me on my uh, apprentice salary, I couldn't afford the tyre. Now, if I'd been able to race on a pair of D'Alessandro six-ounce tyres, or even better was the English uh, Dunlop, uh, something or other they were called, which I'm sure all the English were given, I would have done a lot better because I wouldn't have punctured for a start. Amateurism was bloody hard. I, I was a bit dozy back then. I probably still am, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> confirmation from the back room. Yeah, there's a laugh from the back room. <laughs> yeah. And um, what I did, I sent my uh, a bag full of uh, dirty clothes or something that I didn't need back to Australia, to Sydney. I unfortunately included my uh, my. Uh, immunisation card. So when I got to Rome, we were going to go through Middle East. We came back for Singapore and all that. So I had to have my smallpox injection. And seeing I didn't have the certificate, the card, uh, I was held up in Rome. The only person that came with me was Terry Flanagan. He spent the two or three days that it took for them to get a some quack to give me the scrape your arm and give me the injection again. And so we had a couple of days of tour sightseeing in Rome. And we had no money at all. And so we lived on two shillings worth of grapes a day, every day. And we slept in the airport uh, on the seats, the long wooden curved seats in the airport. Yeah. We slept on those. And uh, eventually they turned up with a seat for us on a plane. And uh, we got back to Sydney. Colin Wilkinson's description of representing Australia overseas in the 1950s was certainly an insight into amateur sport. It was a far cry from now when Commonwealth and Olympic Games teams are picked from full-time professionals who are paid large wages to race a bike. Suddenly, the heritage interview changed. My quite reminiscing was to be dragged into the future. The serenity and innocence of our 1950s sporting memories was to be challenged and overpowered by a futuristic modern-day sporting environment bursting with big money and noisy hype. Colin and Claire led me to the study where they fired up YouTube to excitingly boast of their latest family members' sporting achievements. They introduced me to their nephew, pro gamer Justin J.K.S. Savage, who was signed with the Detroit Renegades professional eSport Counter-Strike Global Offensive Team. What? This is your nephew, Cole's nephew. He was at Griffith University and they somehow. Of course, my thoughts of what constitutes sport was being tested. I learnt that JKS is a rifler in a game that pits terrorists against counter-terrorists in a race to defuse bombed and rescue hostages. 
Proudly Claire declared that JKS has that drive to be successful in what I was to learn is clearly an environment man-made to find the best. We always call him Spider Fingers. <laughs> oh, <did you>? <laughs> <laughs> they, they call him, J, what is it, JKS the Rising That's Stars. Right. It's Justin Savage, his name is. Yeah, but he's got that, you know, that will to win. I never had yeah, it. Yeah. He oh, has it. The size and professionalism of gaming was to shock me. With $1 million tournaments, huge game fixing allegations, and a pro team union that demands 75000 for teams simply to turn up to tournaments. Our interview had certainly gone from the amateur sporting past to the professional e-sport future. I've played this type of game and I get killed in the first minute. His sister Mary, that's her grandson, and that's when he used to come to our house in Woolai where we lived up the Cape. And that's him. So he made a million. Well, that'll do me. Unbelievable! Well, that'll do me. That's that's sport and where it's come. Going over and riding a bike race and representing Australia, and now here's your nephew representing Australia, and he's sitting there at a computer. Yeah, making a lot more money than you ever made. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's a great little twist to the whole story. I had learnt of the intense competitive nature and professionalism of pro gaming, and I could certainly understand Claire's comments of Justin J.K.S. Savage's need to win. His commitment and drive as a youngster, who they affectionately call Spider Fingers, was the same determination shown by a young 10-year-old cyclist riding a bull-eye pass in the mid-1900s. However, it was still difficult for me to compare the demands of passport to the future e-sport. Collins physically demanding cycling to the total flow-type concentration mental demands of JKS's modern-day Counter-Strike game. But Colin was quick to point out a link in the form of a St. George teammate who was also a Commonwealth Games rep, plus an Olympic Games gold medalist, Kevin Nichols. He's a ridiculously good bike rider. Oh know? yeah, he's fantastic. He's very the fast. There'll be a bloody great bunch and he'll be somewhere in the middle and you'll be on the last 220 metres and he just goes... I've raced how down. he actually sees what he... Or how... I can't imagine he's, the way his brain's working. Mm. He's seeing everything in slow motion and he can kind of wend his way through because everybody else is kind of... Standing still, virtually, mm. Mm. in his vision. Yeah. He's brilliant. We will continue the Wilkerson story in another podcast, as I'm admitting to becoming a bit distracted in this heritage story by the future. But with the popularity of training simulators such as Zwift, competition cycling in a virtual world is already possible. And after our talk, it seems just an extension of the concept to add extra mental challenges to spice things up. 
Maybe you could take out a Gumby in a Borak bikini to protect your leader and top up your ammunition to take out a rival. Who knows what the future holds as simulators become more realistic and player input becomes more creative. This uncertainty about the future makes the Heritage Commission's mission to record the past even more important. You've been listening to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast. Thanks to Dried Arrangement for the music in this story. This is Heritage Commission Chairman Mark Windsor saying thanks for listening. Hours, minutes, seconds, gone.